I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Alexis Smart is a former model and actress turned flower remedy and homeopathic practitioner. On this episode, we discuss the healing properties of flowers, homeopathic medicine, and her new collection of flower remedies. Alexis, tell me where you're from. I was born in Toronto, Canada, raised in Los Angeles. Yeah, secret Canadian. (laughs) And my parents are both from England. Met, they met in Canada, and um, but we we left Canada when I was pretty young, around four, and then I lived in Mexico for a year with them, of course, and then we settled in LA, and that's where I've been mostly my whole life. And I think that I've heard that your your parents are both artists. Yeah, my mom is an astrologer and herbalist oh, okay. and um, a singer, musician, and my dad is a visual artist painter, illustrator, sculptor. Have people always connected you to Joni Mitchell? (laughs) Well, no, actually, it's weird. I hit a certain age and then suddenly it started. And then before that, it never happened. And I'm not sure what happened. My my face changed or something. Maybe as I got more cheekbones or something. (laughs) Well, that's a good comparison, though. (laughs) It is. She's great. What was it like being raised by two artists? I have to say, like when I was a kid, um, you know, when you're a kid, you want to conform and you just you want like every everyone at school had the sandwiches at lunch that like on white bread with bologna and a strip of bright yellow mustard. And I wanted that, you know, and I had like the weird hippie sprout sandwich (laughs) and a greasy brown paper bag. And I always wanted the conventional and the conformity when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I started appreciating their aesthetic and their point of view. And now it's I realize that um, the way they raised me is, has really helped me kind of with all of my career choices and, and the way my life is going now. I feel like there was just nothing expected of me. I was kind of allowed to be my own person. Uh, I didn't have to do homework. I didn't have to do anything. But so everything was kind of by choice. I, I think that's important. Were you an only child, Alexis? No, um, I have a sister, an older sister. We're close in age. We fought all the time, and but you know we're also companions and compatriots. And um, yeah, so there was the four of us, and and I rarely had a babysitter. So my parents brought us everywhere to parties and to adult things. So I think that was really enriching for me. To go to things that most parents would think their kids would be bored at, you know, to museums and, and art things and stuff like that. And do you think it informed your style? I do. My parents now I'm realizing like they're very stylish and they're not trendy, you know, so even just, just their influence, they're, they're kind of maybe even snobby about, you know, like not following trends and 
kind of quality and stuff like that and and realness and so definitely I think that's influenced me do you have pieces from your mom's wardrobe that you've borrowed (laughs) yes because I've met you before and you are so beautiful and you are so you have the most incredible style so I do know if some of that is swiped from your mom's wardrobe I, you know, it's funny. I, I I always think I have no style, um, but I think it's just that I don't know what my style is. I, I'm sure they're accidentally stylish, I would call it. But my mom, she, I realized she shopped like the French, you know, she didn't have a lot of clothes, but she had like really beautiful timeless pieces that um, all of them I could wear today and the ones that weren't eaten by moths and stuff. So like my favorite one of hers is um, she had a friend in Toronto that had this incredible store called like Morningstar Trading or something. And he had things from all over the world and vintage Afghani pieces. So I have this dress of hers that's a Syrian vintage dress from, it could be the thirties and it's embroidered and it's black with really bright, embroidered thread on it and I wear that all the time and it's kind of like you could dress it up or you know wear it with boots in the desert where I live now and it's just it's one of my favorites your first career was as a model and an actress yes well when I was young you know and through teenager teenage years I was um, a ballet dancer and really into dancing and but I wanted to be a writer so that's kind of where I was heading And then when I was 15 or so, people said, oh, you should model and make some money. And my friend entered me into this elite modeling contest, (laughs) but I kind of won a contract with them when I was 15 and did that for a year. And then it kind of railroaded me and, and, uh, you know, there was promise of like travel and adventure and a lot of money. And I thought, well, I'll just do this maybe for a few years, like take a break after high school and do this. And then it just kind of kept going. And then I ended up doing it for like, you know, until I was 30. Wow. Maybe even later. Because I, um, you know, LA is not the biggest editorial fashion mecca. So I did commercials. And I, I met this commercial director. I auditioned for him named Joe Pitka, who was, he was a pretty famous big commercial director. And he really loved me. And he cast me in all these Pepsi commercials. So <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of it. I kept saying it was like the mafia, you know, you're in for life. <laughs> and it just afforded me a lot of freedom. And I traveled a lot and I, I had fun. I still did, you know, I did writing workshops and I did keep writing through all those years. But then it just started becoming like, I didn't really want to be an actress and I didn't want to be famous. And It just was the commercial thing was just getting monotonous. And I was having a lot of like soul searching questions about, you know, what my purpose was. And then right around that time, I I had a lot of fateful kind of tragedies in my life. I, I lost a number of people in a short span and went to Egypt and got malaria and uh, we got really sick and the, the illness lasted for a number of years because nobody could diagnose it in LA that um, no one asked me if I'd been traveling to a foreign country or um, so I was just getting sicker. And then uh, I was treated with flower remedies. I accidentally met someone who, who did that and my whole life changed in like three weeks huh. and I decided to quit acting 
<laughs> and study this because it blew my mind study flower remedies and I felt healthier than I'd felt in years and happier and um it was so transformative I I was like this is my calling wow so I've read that you that this happened around your Saturn return. Will you, yes. Will you talk to the audience about that. <laughs> about yes. What that means and kind of I will. Significant. Even people who don't know of astrology, they they always hear about like twenty, the, you know, age twenty seven, yeah. and and how all these rock stars died at that age. And it is kind of eerie how many people have died at that age, and they think it's some kind of cursed thing that happens to you at the time, but my mom is an astrologer, so I, I grew up hearing about what that is. And she described it as that um, Saturn is a very slow moving planet. I think it takes 27 to 30 years to go to make one complete cycle. So it takes that long to get back to it where it was when you were born. Right. So when you hit that age, she said Saturn is the planet that teaches you lessons if you haven't learned the things you need to know. Right. that your soul needs to know. So it's not a curse and a bad thing. It's kind of some people go through it without any challenges because they're they've evolved a certain way, but life will will give you challenges that help you learn what you need to learn for the next cycle of your life and um, that definitely happened. I my whole being and life changed then. So, you know, it's thought of as usually like horrible things happen during your Saturn return. You could die, people die, just you lose your business. I, I just, yeah. lots of stuff. It is strange. I don't know if you had a similar. Oh, yeah. I've, I've definitely had my Saturn, my, my first and maybe my second Saturn return. I'm almost 50. <laughs> but, but back to, can I ask you one question about your mom? Yeah. Did she talk about astrology growing up? Like, did you understand what Saturn return was when you were a kid? Or is that something that? Yeah. What's funny is, you know, when you know how if your dad is an accountant and they want you to go into business, you're like, oh, <laughs> I, I hate numbers and money. And um, so I kind of rejected, she would talk about astrology or talk about things going on in my chart as a kid. And I just kind of zone out. But when I was older, I, I knew what that was. But somehow, when I was going through the Saturn return, I didn't think, oh, my God, it's my Saturn return. And nobody said my mom didn't even say it. Maybe she did, but I was so in shock. I don't remember anything. Yeah, it, I didn't realize till way later. Oh, my God that's what happened. Yeah. And so with the malaria, what it was, what? Oh my God, I'd had a bad breakup in LA with someone I lived with and I couldn't handle like going to look for an apartment. So I thought, Oh, I'll just leave the country. That's my solution. So I went traveling <laughs> and I I'd gone to, to England and Spain and Greece where I'd always wanted to go my whole life. And, and I, I spent a few months in Greece on islands and then um, I didn't want to come home uh, when it got cold there. I think I'm, it wasn't even that cold, but it was cold for Greece. <laughs> My friend, an Australian Greek guy, said, why don't we go to Egypt? It's so close, and I've always wanted to go. So we went there, and it, this was before I, don't, I didn't have a cell phone. So, you know, I said, research and see if we need shots or vaccines. Or, and he said, no, we're good to go. And so... I didn't really research what the possible dangers were. And we spontaneously decided to go to this oasis in 
called Siwa, which is wait, you know Siwa? Yeah, I know Siwa. I want to go so badly. I've been to Egypt, but um, what? Yes, I'm obsessed with Siwa, and Mm -hmm. it's so it's very dangerous, right? Like, because there's only one road in and one road out. Yes, I'm really, really into Siwa. I always had an obsession with ancient Egypt, and I collected Egyptian things when I was four and five. Like, I just loved Egypt, and um. So we were, I was in Cairo and I was staying, actually my grandparents met in Egypt, my, my father's parents uh, during the war. I didn't know that till after I'd gone there. And so I was staying in this old hotel and the bar had been the British officers club during the war, which I also, I didn't know that they probably had gone there. It was just very (laughs) faded kind of trip. And I met these Egyptian architects who were really great. Um, these two guys and they're saying you know where should we we want to get out of Cairo where should we go that I don't want to go where tourists go where do Egyptians go and he said oh you've got to go to Siwa it's magical Mm -hmm. so I liked the sound of that we had to go to Alexandria and then it's like a 12-hour bus ride across the -hmm. desert sometimes you're you know by the sea like to your right you see the the ocean and then you come there and it's like it's really like a movie of an oasis for it's just in the middle of nowhere and then suddenly you just see like this wall of palm trees like a circle of appearing out of nowhere and you drive in and it's like the town is just a big circle and it's it's just filled with there's like I think a hundred thousand date palms and olive trees and there's the salt lakes there that look opalescent and I mean it's just and it's out of time. There, there were all these, you know, donkey carts and men in traditional garb and and Berbers. So, you know, in Cairo, the influence felt more kind of Arabic, mm-hmm. Egyptian. And in in Siwa, the people were just stunningly beautiful. Like, I don't know if you've seen those kind of National Geographic yeah. pictures of Berber women, yeah. but like, <laughs> just their coloring and. Yeah. And the clothes they wore, I'm telling you, I would wear all of the dresses these girls wore. They were like calico and, and floral, long prairie dresses. I mean, Sounds- I don't know where they got this <laughs> influence in the middle of the desert, you know. So we left Siwa. We were there for quite a while. Like we meant to go for two days and I I don't, maybe we were there for three weeks. There were all these travelers there too that had intended to stay a few days that just, oh, I've been here two years. What? <laughs> and so we left there and I think we went to Aswan. And, and when we got to Aswan, I woke up with the worst headache of my life. Huh. Like just, I thought I was having a brain hemorrhage because my mom had had one and I thought, oh my God, it's happening to me now. And by then I was fighting with my traveling companion and trying to quit smoking. So, was, and we were at odds. So there was no person with me that was saying, Hey, you don't look right. Something's wrong. And I was kind of wandering around this dusty village looking for aspirin or something or a doctor. And it's all a blur after that. I just remember that I had a, I was freezing cold all of a sudden. And then I started shivering, like my whole body was shaking and then I would bundle up in all these clothes and then um, get a really high fever and sweat through them. And the, this was going on for a few days. And I kept saying, I don't feel right. I've Something's wrong. And then it would pass like two or three days later, I'd feel fine and think, wow, that was weird. I, I got some crazy Egyptian flu. And then I, I came back to LA and it happened on the plane. So when I arrived, I had this active shivering fever 
I kept thinking it was a flu and then because it would go away it was cyclical and then I had it for five years and it was I met an Egyptian woman at an art gallery and we were chatting there were Egyptian photos on the wall and we were talking about Egypt and kind of mentioned this uh, oh yeah I don't remember Aswan I was sick there and I told her my symptoms and she said oh you had malaria real casual Oh my God. And, I, and she said, it's calm in there. And anyway, so it was like through a long so series when, of- So when she said that, were you like, oh my God, that's it? Yes. Well, this wow. was like, so so I'd gotten the symptoms before everyone could just Google everything. <laughs> and then, but by the time I met her, you know, I had Google and the computer and everything. And I ran home and I Googled the symptoms and, the, and, it, and Egypt. And it said like, don't worry about malaria travelers to Egypt unless you go to Siwa during August through October went oh my god oh my god it was like a veil had been lifted because for five years I'd had this mystery illness and yeah it was kind of through trying to trying to get help for that that I found all these alternative healing methods and stuff and so started with like Bach flower essences or I mean how did you yes I had mostly been focusing on my body and I'd been going to healers and doing cleanses and trying to address my physical um, symptoms. And I had not yet heard that it might be malaria. So, but I just knew I didn't feel right. And then during that time I started getting panic attacks and I'd feel really faint all the time. And just like I wasn't in my body, which is like a common thing when you have a pretty severe pathogen parasite, you can definitely feel not present. And so I was getting anxious and like, I couldn't drive. I was white knuckling it. I was having crazy energy swings. And I somehow walked into the store in LA and said, do you have anything for panic attacks? It was, they'd they'd had a sign for like natural remedies in the window. And, And there was a woman there who said, who made me a formula, a flower remedy formula. We didn't even really discuss much of anything and she said take this in three days you'll feel a lot better and in three weeks you'll be a new person and I I really wanted to be a new person I was not (laughs) happy with that person I just believed her I she had a kind of authority about her and um I did it and I didn't really know much about Bach flower remedies my mom had given us rescue remedy but I didn't I hadn't explored it. So I took these remedies and it was exactly as she said. And three weeks later, I was a totally new person. And I felt so good, even physically, more energetic and strong. And I changed all these things in my life that were that were wrong, like, you know, wrong boyfriend and <laughs> wrong agent. And always that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you finished the bottle, did you know what the flowers were? Yeah. I, I asked, she wrote it down on the label for me. And then I said, yeah. do you have any info? And she, she gave me some little booklet from the flower remedy company that had like one, one line about each remedy. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly accurate how she had figured out my personality. As soon as I had that three week per, uh, mark and I felt different, I started studying it. I was just fascinated. And that's how I am. I always... I always study things that have affected me. And so I learned about these remedies called Bach flower remedies that were invented in the 30s or discovered, I should say, by this British doctor who was kind of pioneer in vaccines and quite ahead of his time with the gut microbiome and um, researching and stuff. And he was dissatisfied with medicine because he felt like 
it was only addressing the body and that the person himself or herself was being ignored and um, they might cure somebody of arthritis, but that person still might be depressed or anxious. And he said, that's not a complete cure. In my view, a person should be happy. Like the soul and the spirit were being totally ignored. And he also started believing after he became a homeopath that, that all illness begins in, in a disruption of the spirit or in an emotional trauma or from emotional stress. I mean, I've felt that in my life just... Yeah. You know, when I'm upset or grief stricken, I always get a virus. So he's thought, I want to find a system of healing that just addresses the emotions that people can use to treat themselves, that it's gentle, uh, safe, um, you can treat your family with this. And, and um, so, you know, at the first sign of a, when you don't feel yourself, like, you know how usually before you get a cold or a flu, there's a day where you're like, irritable or you're spaced out or you just feel off yeah. emotionally. Well, his theory was that if you if you take the correct flower remedy at that time, you your body can heal itself. And so that was his his goal. And he found 38 different flowers that affect the mood that he'd give for the personality. So that was really interesting kind of approach no one had ever done except well homeopathy had but not in conventional medicine was to um, look at the patient and their personality and so originally he found 12 remedies only because he thought there were 12 types of people and he'd you know water violet I always talk about that one because it's one I take a lot he'd give that to someone who had you know, whatever their physical ailment was, if they matched the water violet personality, he'd give them that remedy and they'd get better. So water violet is for people who are kind of like to be alone and um, don't ask for help much and go their own way kind of people. But then he, after the 12, he thought, well, humans are complicated and there's all of these different emotional states and trauma and life events that can kind of change your personality. So, so he eventually, it was 38 different essences that he discovered. And I, they're just miraculous to me. They're really, well, like I said, ahead of their time, because they, they're kind of working more on principles of quantum physics. Like they're very, very dilute. And um, they're called vibrational medicine because they affect your subtle energetic body not they're not like a herbal tincture that affects your organs and crude bodily stuff and dr bach was in germany he was in england it's a welsh name and it's meant to be pronounced batch that's how the welsh say it so you studied dr botch yes <laughs> and when did you start to take your own clients it was a few years because um i really didn't think i would do this professionally it was just I was just passionate about it. So I think for maybe two years, I I studied it and I um, got a kit and I gave the remedies to everybody I knew and friends of friends. And I said, I just said, like, let me treat you for free, but you have to give me feedback. I want, And so I was studying and learning, but I really wanted a hands-on experience and to see where I'd gone wrong and if my, if my prescriptions were correct. And, and um, it sounds like they were. You they were, <laughs> they were. And, and the great thing about these is you can't really do a wrong remedy. The worst that could happen is when you pick the wrong one, it just does nothing. Right. So sometimes I'd have someone that it, it didn't work. And I, on my second try, I would get it. And then at some point, 
like through the disillusionment with the acting thing and loving flower remedies more it just con- conspired to um create this career that people started insisting they pay me and and then they wanted to send other strangers to me and and so I started charging and and then I became a homeopath so I always I thought oh flower remedy practitioner that's not a job because I hadn't heard of it and then uh, but I I had been cured of the malaria by a homeopath a British homeopath so that's when I thought, oh my God, I have to study this too. I started studying homeopathy and I, I did both of them. Uh, so I'm a homeopath as well. Can you tell me what the difference between homeopathy and flower remedies are? That is a great question. Yes, um, homeopathy is a 200 year old science invented by a man named Samuel Hahnemann. And the principle is that you give a remedy that in a larger amount would cause all of your symptoms. And we use things like um, poisons, like arsenic, belladonna, snake venom, or minerals, uh, phosphorus, silica, plants, trees, uh, any, any substance can be made into homeopathic remedy. So the idea is to, to stimulate your immune system to kind of rally against the disease, very much like the, va- uh, the idea of vaccines, but these are very specific to the individual symptoms. So for homeopathy to work, it has to be very specific for your symptoms and it has to be the right dosage and frequency and, and requires a lot of case management. So usually, unless it's an acute, you'd want to see a professional. Flower remedies um, work by, rather than giving you something that would, you know, a negative or a poison, or it gives you something that uh, it's only positive. And so, like I said earlier, if you take the wrong one, nothing can happen. And uh, homeopathy is called like cures like, rather than like giving an antacid for acid stomach, you would actually give the patient something that causes acid stomach a little, in a small amount. So with flower remedies, you're just kind of flooding the, the body with positive feelings. And then the, neg- the idea is that the negativity kind of just drops away as you increase your positive feelings. Because okay, there's so much positive, it has to go away because it feels yeah. comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even though people say homeopathy, if it's the wrong remedy, it does does nothing. I have experienced myself when I take the wrong remedy, homeopathic remedy, I can get bad. Um, so I can get some aggravations for a few days where I don't feel right. With flower remedies, that can never happen. So they're really safe for if you're pregnant, trying to conceive, nursing, any, you know, they're safe for all of those stages. What's the process of the flower, you know, getting the essences or is it essences or? Yes, essence, essences. I get them from England. They're made in the English and Welsh countryside and, and the flowers grow wild there. And that they're, that's the best way to get the material for the essences, because if they're cultivated, they have a different um, potency. They're not as strong. The healing messages aren't as strong. So I get my essences from from a wonderful guy in England who makes the formula the flower essences exactly in accordance with Dr. Bach's preparation methods. Wow. And uh, I visited them in England and seen their operation out in the countryside. And so I have the most respect for this person. And um, so I get the concentrates from England and then I formulate them and um, make bottles for people. What would you say are the three most common emotional states that you've seen over the years in treating clients? 
I see mostly women. I'm not sure why women seek out self-care more than men do. I wish men, more men would. But um, so I, I know that like women have a whole different, different makeup, obviously. So, but so the women that I see, I would say the one thing that a lot of them had, aside from more severe things like trauma and anxiety and stuff would be, they often doubt their intuition or they go against their inner knowing, Mm -hmm. which I had for sure done, you know, where you kind of, you get a little inkling or you get it. Oh yeah. The the red flag. Right. And you, you go, Oh, but you, Oh, you're just being silly or paranoid or whatever it is. And you kind of quiet that voice. So I see that a lot, but emotionally too, um, I see a lot of like fear of failure or fear of things not working out or like a negative outlook, a just easily discouraged kind of um, because it's, it's like a realistic outlook is what they call it. And um, because we're all raised with this idea that you should kind of be prepared for things to go wrong. And so, but that kind of is, it, it inhibits your, sense of adventure and Mm. feeling of spontaneity and that like doesn't matter what happens that what the outcome is that life is an adventure you know and so I think like the majority of people may not be suffering with kind of intense psychological emotional stuff but they have these kind of garden variety things that kind of dampen their joie de vivre you know for me I've had doctors you know, sort of look at you like you're crazy. And it's funny to talk to you. And also I know you, I've met you several times, mm-hmm. but I never, I never knew that you were who you are. And I, when I had weird early perimenopausal problems, had gotten your moon river formula and, oh. and, and it really, really helped me. And I think that that, I think that's the thing is like, you can go to the doctor like a hundred times and just be like, I just don't feel right. This is, I just, yes. don't feel right. and they're like, well, you know, take an aspirin or like, or, you know, we should yes. put an antidepressant and you're like, it's not that. And I feel like having, for me, the, the moon river, it was just really comforting. It almost felt like it was someone saying you're not crazy. Yeah. Um, well, the, here's the thing. Like, the reason they say there's nothing wrong is just that there's only certain things that that show up in lab reports. You know, I learned this in homeopathy school that the things that show up in lab results are usually when a condition has gotten more extreme, right? right. But before that, it's kind of um, more like the, in a functional area. So something is happening. It just hasn't gotten so bad that it's showing up in a, in right. a crude form or... So, yeah. And to me, like, I'd rather feel good and have a bad lab report than feel yeah. bad and have, have, a, good. have them say like, there's nothing wrong. I'd right. rather the, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I do. I have a question for you too. In treating patients, clients, mm-hmm. I think you obviously are very empathetic. What do you do to mm. clear your energy in between clients? I, I, now I don't do so many of them back to back. I, I really need a, a, like a a time of recovery after like often like I need to get in water and it sounds weird but I want to shower or get in a bath or I go out 
into the sun and stand on the ground and just ground myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, I used to burn sage a lot, but then I made a room spray that, cause I couldn't always burn sage between clients. A lot of people have allergies or just don't like the smell. And, and also, you know, if I was in a hurry and I'm kind of rapidly smudging the room and there's pieces of ash falling everywhere, it would be <laughs> dramatic. So I, ma- I made this beautiful room spray that has, um, because you can use flower essences topically and you can use them in, a, in environmentally. So I made a room spray with flower essences that to cleanse and protect yeah, called sun, moon, room spray. And But I, then I got into the aromatherapy aspect of it and I love scents. And um, so I, I thought I wanted to also smell good and have therapeutic aromatherapy properties. So So I do that, like even though now in quarantine, I, I only do zoom, but I still feel like yeah. I need to clear my environment after. For sure. Um, so I do that. And, and I also have a formula called pesos that I can't believe this is, I have 23 formulas, right. And like, after doing this for 18 years and being so empathetic and sensitive to people's energy, I, I the 24, fourth formula I make is one for empaths I I can't believe it took me this long to do that and so I've been taking that and I really find it helpful especially during this time you know just with the suffering and just the collective emotional um, trauma that's going on right now I it can be overwhelming I love hearing you say that because I actually just ordered pathos (laughs) Oh, you've got to. I mean, it's just, it's kind of the first one I made for a kind of type of person. A lot of the remedies are for different conditions, but this is really like a personality. And if you are one, you just know, Um, you know, everyone's learning about empaths lately, but, but before we use that word, we would say very sensitive, I'm compassionate. I, I like helping people. HSP, you know, highly sensitive person. HSPs, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and they're often very um, I mean, I am, but people who are empaths also have a lot of chemical and environmental sensitivities. So this formula could help them just feel like buffered in a way. Yeah. Will you talk also a little bit about your most popular, your your best selling? I think it's first aid kit. First aid kit is big and I'll talk about that one because it's it's the most uni- it's the universal formula. So all of these formulas are more, you know, they're all specific and they're very specific to your to your emotional state. And the more specific you can be, the more effective the remedy will be when you're choosing a formula. So but first aid kit is the all-purpose fast acting stress reliever for trauma or small stresses. So you could take it if you have an accident or a fender bender or something um, or a fall to kind of neutralize the trauma. Or you can take it for small stresses like being stuck in traffic or um, <laughs> flying. I always take it before air travel or, you know, uh, meetings or if uh, public speaking, because I get fear of public speaking. And I, t- I dose on the first aid kit like every 10 minutes before <laughs> that kind of thing. And it really works. And Or menstrual cramps, headaches, anything that just feel where you feel off and it, you know, is a, a thing that suddenly pe- appeared. It's not for like a long-term chronic thing. And Alexis, that one you can take with other ones, correct? Like the other one. Yeah. Are- to you should take only one at a time but that one you can correct yeah the other ones you would you would choose one 
mm-hmm. um, what's going on, you know, go, what's really happening right now and pick a remedy for that. Take it till it's finished, which is about a month, but then you can take the first aid kit as needed during that time on your regular formula. Oh, beauty for, are you, you guys are going to have beauty formula, aren't you? Yeah, tell me about that. Oh my God. It's, I just, this is my favorite formula. I love it because it's so cool what it does. Um, And I think because, well, you've got your LA store, you know, all about this, but it's widespread, but you know, there's a terrible affliction in our current society. And for the last, well, I mean, it's been forever, but it seems to just be getting worse that, that um, people feel really unattractive and critical of their looks and think they need to change things. And so I saw a lot of that. I mean, even modeling, I saw the most beautiful women I'd ever seen just hating themselves and they're fat and look at my skin. And, and I did it to myself. So I already came from that place. And it wasn't until my sister, my older sister said that she wanted to get Botox uh, in her 11s, you know, the furrows between your eyebrows. Uh And I just thought, no, you don't do this it's just like and we were raised by this woman who you know my mom never gave us a drug or wore makeup or I thought no that you don't get Botox let me let me give me a shot at this and so I I said let me make you a flower remedy and let's just see if it changes your face just give it a month and like then you can get Botox if if it doesn't work so I went to work tinkering on this formula and I thought well she I need to give her something to relax her facial muscles because she's an intense person and you know intense people they they make a lot of facial expressions and tense their faces so I started with that idea of I need to find remedies to relax the person and but then I thought of I started thinking about the 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 whole like I was talking about the societal stuff and the the what we go through and I thought I want to make a formula that both does make you look better so like botox and filler that plumps your skin that removes under eye circles that relaxes the facial muscles and and uh, helps nasolabial folds and all those physical concerns but i thought i want also for the person to feel really beautiful inside and confident so i made this formula beauty formula number eight that that does both of those things and it, it is really she didn't get botox Really? Um, yeah, she said it totally worked. She kept I think it's working. And she said, I just, but I feel really good too. And I almost, she said, and a lot of people say this, I I look better, but also I just don't care how I look now. <laughs> and like, which is really attractive. Like people, people say, you look great. What are you doing? And it's just, as soon as you stop caring about how you look and focusing on it, you just, there's a kind of carefree confidence about it. That's what I'm, I mean, I just love that formula. I think it's so special. All right. Well, I, I'm going to do that after pathos. Yeah, that's a good idea. Do pathos <laughs> first. And um, it's great for the skin too. So even though it's called the anti-aging formula, it is really good for breakouts as well. So, you know, at any age we can get those. And You seem to be really affected by the place that you live and the places that you travel. And um, yes. you just moved to Joshua Tree. Yeah, yeah. I'm technically in, okay, I'm technically in a place called 29 Palms, which is the next town over, but nobody knows that place. So strange. It's so different from LA after living there my whole life and, but so peaceful and utterly silent. I mean, 
and so and weirdly so many colors in the desert I, I love the desert yeah isn't it funny like I thought growing up that it was just kind of a vast no man's land of brown and then now that I live here I do like you said I see a lot of colors so many animals yeah I've got rabbit wild rabbits that I feed and little quail and <laughs> hawks and owls and it's really special. We have we ask a question of everybody that it comes on the podcast, and I don't know if I don't know if you're prepared for it, but okay, probably not. But. <laughs> no. What, what did you wear to prom, and or did you go to prom? Oh, oh my God! This is a great story. Here's what happened: because I was modeling and always at auditions and stuff, I started thinking this high school thing is for the birds, you know? And so I took the proficiency test and I had already graduated early because I started early and I skipped kindergarten or something. And so I was 16 and I, when I left high school and, and I left in my senior year, like the second month, I just couldn't wait to get out of there and start living my life. And then my, my friend said, Hey, our friend Doug, uh, you know, his date bailed on him. Will, will you go to the prom? with him and I thought okay I'll slum it with you kids I'll I'll make a guest appearance and um so I got a dress I had just seen okay I think it was like I don't know what the fabulous baker boys but I was really into Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer Michelle Pfeiffer love love <laughs> I love, love, love. Her. Okay. I yeah she's one of my beauty style icon expander people so for sure I had seen that movie and I think she does a scene like on top of a grand piano singing Make and Whoopi or whatever, I, or some other classic. And she was wearing a velvet, tight velvet dress. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I absolutely do. But I can't, was it sleeveless or had a sleeve? It, it was sleeveless and it had straps and a kind of, what's the neckline? Not sweetheart, but like a little bit of gather at the bust like and a, then yeah. straps, like wide straps, zipper at the back, tight. So it's like and probably it's cut, so it's sort of draped in the front, or no? Maybe a t no, not draped. Maybe a tiny bit of ruching. I'm not sure, but it was it was a mini dress, you know, and it was oh. and she's tiny and it was tight and but it wasn't tacky or slutty or anything. I thought, oh, I want to wear a dress like that, <laughs> and um, so I found one. And it was, but in black and um, black velvet and I, and like I looked very sophisticated. I can't believe. Um, I'll send you a picture. Actually, when we get off the phone, my friend just sent me a picture from that night, and I'm wearing this incredible dress. And and I was a ballet dancer, and my body looked so great, and I didn't appreciate it, of course, at the time. But um, yeah, so I wore that and insanely high heels. I don't know how yeah, I walked. Black shoes. Black, yeah, a black pump you know like a heel really high heel and uh, I just thought I'm wearing point shoes I'm wearing point shoes just like that's how I kept my posture up and then I wore some stockings like some really sheer black uh, stockings and I just remembered that this dress came with a beaded bolero like a bolero jacket in black as well yes that had I mean and it wasn't a fancy or expensive dress but I just it was like the only one in the store and this great bolero jacket with the antique beading and kind of big shoulder pads you know it was late 80s um, so um it's a great outfit I wish I still had and, it and, and gold 
curls or do you remember how you did your hair or any of that? Oh, I had hair. I had straight hair down to my waist with bang <laughs> and bangs because I was into like Paulina Portskova, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I just had it all silky straight down, wore it down. And I think I wore some kind of earring that was like not great. Maybe some little hearts that were like on a, a beaded heart or something. Uh, all this detail is coming back to me. It's so funny. <laughs> what a great time it was. I mean, yeah, I've been so nostalgic lately since lockdown. I just, um, I never used to be, but I, I really think about the past a lot. Thank you so much. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.